5: Friday morning, the 21st of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We start uh, the longest day of the year with what was a very long night in Drogheda. A 24-year-old man was treated in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital after being shot twice while sitting in his car as children played nearby. The ongoing criminal feud has been simmering over in recent weeks, but violence erupted again last night in Drogheda. Uh, the shooting was followed by two petrol bomb attacks in retaliation. Blue lights lit up the town with sirens from Garda cars and fire tenders while the Garda helicopter hovered overhead. A car chase added to the drama as a car left the town at high speed heading for Terman to be intercepted by Garda, uh, par- apprehending two men forcing them to the ground as they tried to make their escape at Beauty Cross. The gangland violence in Drada hasn't gone away, you know, and it's an issue that was raised in the Dáil yesterday by Fianna Falls Derek Leary.
6: We had the raft of ATM uh, thefts on both sides of the border. And secondly, we had the insidious evidence of an increase in gang activity and drug-related activity uh, in Drogheda in particular. The Garda Armed Response Unit had to be brought into Drogheda and it turned out that Drogheda had been left short of gardi for the past year so the criminal activity was allowed to fester in the context of that particular shortness. And Drogheda, as we all know, is a fantastic town. and the pleasure of visiting it last year during last year's Fla, and the welcome was phenomenal. And the people of Drogheda took charge of their own destiny by having a very dignified and silent protest calling on criminal gangs to step back and calling for action to protect their town and protect the people uh, of their town. Criminal gangs and others involved in the drug trade are spreading their malignant activity across the country as pressure comes on them here in this city. And people in towns and indeed villages and small communities across the country are getting justifiably concerned about this activity and justifiably concerned about the poor and slow response to what's happening.
5: Drogheda now, but where next? And what protection for other towns when this type of violence breaks out, given that there's been much criticism of how Drogheda has been abandoned?
6: That's Drogheda. Are there other towns? Are there other communities they're going to have the Armed Response Unit on their streets over the next few weeks. And what, Tadjda, is the government doing to actively engage with these problems before they require that level of response? What are you doing to prevent eruptions of gang violence around the country before communities are terrorised, before people are threatened in their own communities? And do you believe that there's extra resources needed to tackle this Around the country.
5: Derek Cleary asking the government uh, during leaders' questions yesterday, what are they doing to tackle gangland crime? The Tarnashter responded by saying the government is doing all that can be done.
7: Deputy, I think you could accuse, uh, you have accused this government of many things, but I don't think it's credible to accuse the government of not being open to, to new thinking, better policing, uh, new ways of doing things from a policing perspective. There has been a constant, constant programme of reform and reassessment and independent assessment of policing in Ireland for obvious reasons over the last number of years and that continues. Um, and the resources continue to increase too. The number of, of, uh, of guards also continue to increase which is needed uh, not just uh, in, in Longford or Drada but in many other parts of the country as well and in many of our constituencies as we know only too well. Um, the presence of the Minister uh, with the, uh, the Garda Commissioner uh, uh, at times of stress and fear uh, in towns like, like Drada in response, in response to gangland crime is more than appropriate uh, to reassure people that right at the top of government we can understand the concerns and the need for a response here. Uh, but the actual response itself does need to be designed by police officers. Uh, in Un garda and in the Garda Commissioner's office. And if the Garda Commissioner needs more resources or stronger legislation in certain areas, well then he will get both. Uh, and that is the kind of relationship that is needed between the Garda Commissioner oh, uh, and the, uh, the Minister for Justice, which is a very strong one. Deputy I mean. Conister,
5: Simon Coveney speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday before it went bang a- again and quite literally went bang. We'll be speaking with uh, the Chief Superintendent presently, uh, but Marie Kearns uh, is in studio with me. You've been speaking to people locally and I, I think there's a-, a sense of shock. Indeed, fear once again in the town.
1: Absolutely, Michael. Just when we thought this feud had quietened down, with the arrival of all these extra guardi to the town, unfortunately it reared its ugly head last night. And to say that people in the term in Abbey and wider uh, area of Drogheda are frightened out of their lives, Michael, would be an understatement. I spoke to some residents following this attack and... You picture the scene, Michael. It's a nice, sunny Thursday evening. We haven't had a lot of sunshine, but mm. we did yesterday. Secondary school students are off. It's coming near the end of the primary school uh, uh, term. And lots of children playing out in the streets. Oh, that are, It's
5: broad daylight, yes. really, even yes. though it's evening time. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And parents, some are sitting outside. Mm. And the next thing, there's a shooting. Mm. Uh, we know at least two shots were fired. We're not sure how many. And children witness this. Mm. One parent reports that she was upstairs thought fireworks was going on and heard a scatter out on the street. Children running through the front doors, absolutely terrified. Uh, Another man said that he saw his child cowering behind the front door Mm. after running in as he came down the stairs. When those
5: children ran away because uh, they'd witnessed a shooting they were literally running for their lives. That would be the way they were perceiving the world that they were living in at the time. Yes, Mm.
1: yes. Mm. Uh, One mother said, will she ever be able to let her child out to play again? Will her child feel that they 're safe to play outside their front door again, mm. and these are the questions that have been asked this morning as people are waking up to this horrific news Michael and um, th- then, as you reported at the start of the show, a big search operation followed to try and mm. find the culprits uh, the The victim was rushed to hospital. We understand he has been released it uh, th- was suffered injuries to the shoulder, we believe, and the face, but were not life threatening however. What followed then was lots of reaction. The guardy obviously doing their search and then three hours later, two petrol bomb attacks mm. in Moneymore. We understand that one house was completely gutted and another one was badly damaged. Uh, again, sirens, half 11, 12 o'clock at night, people not sure what is happening people terrified when they hear the siren now because you actually don't know what you're going to face or is it going to be in your particular area mm. and as you said the guard a helicopter hovering around again children not knowing what's happening you're trying to put children to bed and all you hear is this hum of the helicopter as if you're in a movie set. Mm. You're not actually in your hometown where this is going on.
5: Okay, well, we'll hear more from uh, the Chief Superintendent uh, presently, as I say, uh, but we can also report uh, that uh, the man who was shot last evening, is reported to have uh, undergone uh, another uh, assassination attempt uh, in recent months. It's the second time that somebody has tried to shoot this man dead and uh, we'll hear more about that uh, anon. But let's uh, stay with leaders' questions. uh, We were hearing from the doll there a few moments ago. Another issue that was raised in the doll was uh, issues relating to the killing of a 14-year-old Anna Cregelle uh, and many of them. And indeed, if our children are are safe on the internet and what is being done about online safety. Something needs to be done no matter how it's done and Piers Doherty of Sinn Féin was suggesting to the government that all politicians need to work together on this. He said it doesn't matter what we call the legislation as long as legislation is introduced. It doesn't matter who introduces it or who gets the credit for it. And Piers Doherty joins us now. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us you, here on the programme uh, this morning. Indeed uh, the There's been a a lot of questions about the internet following on from uh, the tragic death of that young girl in
2: Lucan.
8: Yeah, and I think obviously that has uh, grabbed the, the the public's attention in terms of the her- the horrific killing of, of of Anna and and the circumstances surrounding that. Uh, and while people are talking about this here, it it needs to be more than that. It needs to be a call to action, uh, and in particular, it needs to be a call to action to those who are charged with responsibility for for bringing in laws. And that's mm. me. That's my colleagues. That's uh, the other political parties. And that's the kind of message I was trying. to get across to the Tanisha and to the government yesterday that you know we have circumstances like this here where people are outraged and then life goes on and we continue to do nothing and 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 that's the problem because Mm -hmm. we've seen this before maybe not as in 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 such a, a graphic nature but we know that this is a major issue in terms of online safety we know that the ISPCC, uh, a fantastic organisation. There, the Prevention of Cruelty mm. to Children are saying that you know that that on, online safety is the child protection issue of our time. Uh, we know that others like CyberSafe Ireland, the Office of the Commissioner of the Ombudsman, are all calling for the establishment of um, of, of a commissioner and, and a dedicated office in relation to uh, online safety. Yet nothing is happening. You know, we mm. we've produced a piece of legislation. Uh, Donna Lear, are justice spokesperson. Uh, it comes from work that the Law Reform Commission ha- has done, so it's you know it's not something that we invented ourselves. It's based
5: on and has cross-party research. support. I think it,
8: it has. Mm-hmm. It got unanimous mm-hmm. support in the Dáil mm-hmm. uh, over a year and a half ago, and it's sitting there and it's not happening. It's not moving because government are saying, "Well, we want to introduce our own, and mm-hmm. we're not you know happy with what, and what we don't want unintended
5: consequences and so on." Yeah, but there are a number of issues uh, that arise from the murder trial, uh, one of them being uh, the depraved material uh, that is said to have been found on one of the boys' phones and if that might have distorted thinking. Another is how children interact on uh, the internet and if uh, bullying is happening, what effect that can have on somebody and how that can be clamped down on. And then there is the posting of material that wouldn't otherwise be put into the public domain. Uh, One of uh, the boys' families is said to have had to go into hiding because Uh, of uh, them being identified on the internet, another teacher is uh, said to have been threatened and an innocent boy is said to have been accused of being involved
8: Yeah well two out of three of those areas could actually be dealt with the legislation that we have proposed and passed in the all a year and a half ago, and that's the Digital Safety Commissioner, because that would allow for takedown mechanisms, it would allow for certificates of compliance, uh, it wouldn't allow for micro-targeting of, 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 of young people. and um, What it wouldn't do is it wouldn't prevent young people from going on and accessing deliberately uh, pornographic images of 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 of, of severe nature, um, and, and and that's another piece that we need to actually look at and how we fix that. And that's you know what I was asking for yesterday is for all of the people to come together, all of the TDs mm. to come together. We have a piece of legislation in committee stage. Let's actually work together, put our heads together. You know the government have good ideas in this year, Fianna Foyle have good ideas, mm. Labour Party have good ideas.
5: Uh, and you mentioned an all of that in the dial yesterday as well. I think uh, you referred to Brendan Howland's suggestion. Uh, uh, that you would have to be over 18 uh, to access pornography on the internet to follow that British model. Uh, you mentioned Fianna Fáil. Uh, When you finished speaking and the Tanisha said, look, we're willing to work together, Derek Cleary of Fianna Fáil stood up and said that the government gave exactly the same response to Dennis Nocton, who was the minister with responsibility for this two years ago.
8: And this is the problem. And this is the, exactly the problem because, you know, the just said stood up, said the right things you know, about let's do this collectively basically, you know, in tune with what I was saying is if everything was going to be okay and the government are willing to do this they're not we have produced a piece of legislation a year and a half ago got unanimous support the sponsor of that legislation Donahue Lira asked to meet with the minister to discuss it further because it's in committee stage the minister hasn't even responded to Donahue now that is not a government that wants to reach out that wants to work with others that wants to actually see let's, that this is a good idea that's supported by the office of the children's ombudsman the ISBCC CyberSafe Ireland and a lot of other organisations that are working with young people this is a government who basically are saying no we're doing our own thing uh, thanks for that but we're moving on and that's the problem and you know it's not it's not the way and I gave an example yesterday I've already had a piece of legislation that's passed into law uh, that, 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 that deals with the financial irregularities and supported a lot of people taking cases in the tracker mortgage scandal I was able to do that because at a point in time I was able to work with the government and their officials to help get that across the line I'm in the par- process of do- getting another piece of legislation into law uh, later on next month uh, which is about insurance costs and premiums and all the rest and that is because government and officials are sitting down and working with me as well and teasing out some of the maybe unintended consequences. What we don't have in relation to online safety is the same willingness from Richard Bruton or from the head of government to actually deal with this and this is what annoys me and I'm a father of four children. You know, you talked about access to uh, material. I've got I've got children now, you know, two of my lads are, are 12 and 13. Of course it concerns me. It would concern any any parent, because they have access to the internet, they have access to, 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 to phones. And the, the problem is, is we need to get this right. We need, And we need to do it quickly, but we need to get it right. And in my view is there's enough collective wisdom within the different parties and in independents in Leinster House that we sit down, if, you st- if they don't want to do it through our legislation, then let's set up a committee, let's do it quickly before the summer recess, let's put all our ideas on the, on the table, and let's come out with a piece of legislation that's robust at the end of it that protects our children in the best way that we can. It's never going to be perfect. mm, There's always going to be ways around it, Michael. There's no doubt about it. You can see the problems in the legislation in Britain, but at least we have to do something because at the minute, there's nothing. Well,
5: very little time to do anything uh, because of uh, the recess looming. We'll be speaking with the ISPCC a little bit later on, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. That's uh, Sinn Féin TD, Pierce Doherty.
0: Michael Reed on
5: LMFM. Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan in uh, Drogheda Garda Station joins us after the latest shooting in uh, the town and indeed uh, the ensuing violence. Good uh, morning to you Chief Superintendent and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. A busy night uh, undoubtedly for members of the force.
9: Yes uh, Michael it was a very very busy evening and night Um, at approximately 7.50pm last night we received a call regarding a a shooting uh, at Elmwood Close, uh, at Thurman Abbey in Drogheda. Um, And the the details were that a a male had uh, been shot at that location and was in Drogheda um, Hospital. Um, We attended the call, obviously, and the male received treatment in in Drogheda, um, Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. We also received two subsequent reports then uh, of a car burnt out at at Starina. Uh, at uh, Oven Cullen, That's a Pugot, we believe is a Pugio 405 uh, Coupe. Um, we don't have registration as of yet. Uh, the other vehicle that was involved in the shooting uh, at Elma Close uh, is believed to be a, a, a grey Honda Accord, which was subsequently uh, found burnt out at uh, Car Town. Um, so obviously we're, we're very interested in, um, you know, uh, speaking to people who would have seen uh, the Peugeot 405, which would have been parked over in the Cullen area for a considerable period of time, were satisfied of that fact. But uh, also of the movements of the Honda Accord uh, in 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 the general area in Carman Abbey, were satisfied that it was in that area for for a period of time. So that that's that's what we're interested in at the moment. We also then uh, later on that that night at approximately 10 to 12, uh, a mobile patrol that we had out in the Moneymoor area uh, discovered a house on fire. Uh, the significant, the, the house has been destroyed as a result of the fire. And also then, within minutes, then there was another uh, suspected petrol bomb thrown at a house in Moneymore as well. So that's what we were dealing with during the night. So obviously in in the uh, Herman Abbey area, there were a considerable number of people in the area, including children, out playing, norm, normal activities for uh, any housing estate. So, you know, there was uh, obviously a considerable number of people that were in the area that, that may have uh, seen what what went on, you know. So, it, it obviously mm. it, this is of concern, serious concern.
5: To the and a, a number of shots uh, fired uh, from all shots, reports, yeah. it would seem, Chief, and Super, Chief Superintendent, the, the, the man himself, I uh, understand uh, that this is uh, the second uh, attempt to shoot this man uh, in recent weeks, and that he was shot twice, once in the chin and once in the shoulder, but the car that he was sitting in uh, also uh, took a, a number of bullets, so there were a, n- a number of shots, uh, and as you say, there were a lot of people in the area, and quite a, a lot of panic by all accounts. There were children out playing, and uh, as I understand it, a lot of children ran for cover.
9: Yes, uh, the 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 person who was shot was driving a silver golf, and they they were mm, that, that car was fired upon. Uh, rounds of, rounds uh, penetrated through the back window of that car, and yes, the, 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 you know there was uh, little or no thought given to the children and adults who are in the area for for their. Safety uh, at all by by the by the people involved.
5: We're lucky, aren't we, uh, that uh, we're not talking about a fatality this morning.
9: Well, uh, uh, absolutely. It's, 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 you know, when you have a lot of children out playing, going about their their normal hmm. life, uh, yes, when when people decide to fire upon another person uh, very indiscriminate uh, without any thought for any any other person
5: And this is a a residential area densely populated area, a huge housing estate in fact so there's a lot of people living there, a lot of children living there, Uh, popular chipper around the the corner so a lot of people coming in and out of the area as well Uh, and uh, hopefully as you say somebody has managed to witness something that they'd be willing to uh, share with the Gardaí
9: Yes, and when we, we intend uh, later on during the day, we, we will have a, a more detailed appeal when we are when we confirm the registration of the Peugeot car, and when we confirm other details that that we are, are getting reports of. Mm. So we certainly will be, be given a more detailed press release later on during the day. But yes, it, it, it is of concern um, that this dispute has been going on for a considerable period of time. Um we have allocated considerable resources to it over the last two months, which has seen a considerable reduction in the number of incidents that actually have, that have been committed. Um we've very, very concentrated patrols in in, in the in the area. Um I, I out and about yesterday afternoon myself and I could see the visible police and presence that is there. So you know, I, I certainly want to reassure people that we have a, a heavy presence on the ground. We will continue. Are,
5: are, are the gang leaders and, being shadowed, Superintendent?
9: Well, I suppose what what, what I would say, <coughs> what I would say is, excuse me, what I would say is, we are concentrating our investigations on the activities of uh, the people involved.
5: Okay, and because there are reports this morning that this was a, a senior figure in one of the gangs.
9: Well, I'm not going to comment in okay. relation to the person mm. involved. To be fair to them. Um, what I would say is, you know, it it, it is important to understand that we have a number of uh, investigations in relation to the activities of the people involved in the overall Mm -hmm. criminal dispute. So we are Targeting activities, we've taken considerable uh, assets off them, we will continue to do so. And is it right Uh, to say
5: that the fires were in retaliation for the shooting or certainly uh, linked to the feud? And were there any arrests? We're hearing of a high speed car chase uh, that ended up at Bewley where a couple of people were apprehended
9: well what took place last night we put in a number of interventions uh, we carried out searches in order to prevent further attacks because we had, we anticipated that attacks would take place the, the first house that was discovered unfortunately in, in a very badly burnt out state that was actually discovered by a, a patrol and this, the second one was within minutes of the, of that that one being discovered so we did carry out searches last night no just people haven't been have been arrested in relation to any of the incidents as as of yet uh we have a, a a conference at ten o'clock now in Drogheda Garda Station and we'll be generating a number of investigative action to deal with the, the overall investigation.
5: Well, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan speaking to us uh, there from Drogheda Garda Station. Now, let's go uh, to this uh, story that was uh, of interest to, to some people yesterday from Greystones uh, National School. There. St. Bridget's National School has introduced what they're describing as a gender-neutral school uniform policy. It follows on from four girls in one of the senior classes going to the principal and saying that there was a child in the school who was uncomfortable with the current uniform policy. The current uniform policy is that the girls wear tartan skirts and the boys wear grey trousers. From September onwards, the boys can wear the tartan skirts if they want to and the girls can wear the grey trousers if they wish to or whatever they're most comfortable in. Thomas Byrne is Fianna Falls spokesperson on education td for me these and joins us now and a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us uh, thomas Byrne. it's a very progressive move by saint bridget uh, is it uh, 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 an appropriate uh, policy for schools to implement and should it be followed by others
3: well i think the first thing i'd say is that uniform policy in schools is a matter for each school so it's a matter for the school to make the decision as to what's appropriate for itself um, I think the most important thing is, and I didn't notice, but you've mentioned it there, that there was a child in the school uh, who's affected by these issues. And I think that's the, the one thing I'd be thinking of when I'm talking about this issue. There's undoubtedly some listeners, some parents, some grandparents uh, listening to this show at the moment who have a child or a grandchild uh, who's affected uh, by, by this. And I think that that's most that's important. And clearly that's what's happening in this particular case, where the school has made its own decision. And uh, By the way, lots of schools, uh, have made similar decisions mainly I would say to change uniforms into tracksuits mm. possibly for, for gender reasons but possibly for other practical reasons as well
5: Actually I don't think the school made uh, the decision at least not in isolation uh, from uh, the parents uh, They consulted with the parents yeah, uh, through email say, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> absolutely so the school has done the school has done its thing but it, but uh, I, I don't think the school has sought out national publicity in relation to this I mean I think the school has done its thing it's made its decision uh, it came from the children uh, it went to the, the teachers and the board it went to the parents and they made a decision and I think that the decision is something that they, uh, they can deal with, they have done uh, and, and I, I, I certainly respect their decision but as I said there's lots of these decisions have been made all around the country uh, and it hasn't even been noticed at all because schools have to deal with these issues and children who have gender issues uh, on, it I know, And there out. hasn't
5: been decisions like this that have been made elsewhere that have gone unnoticed has there?
3: Uh, I suspect there have been actually um, That boys are
5: wearing skirts to school
3: Well, I I haven't come across them, but Mm. what I do know is that schools uh, all over the country are dealing with gender issues. I I Mm. know that from speaking to principals, particularly at second level, but certainly at primary level as well. And there are people listening to this show as well Mm. whose children... Are dealing with these issues. It's, I have to. Uh, to as you say, it's
5: a matter for the school, and perhaps it's right that it should be a matter for the school in terms of the colour of the uniform, whether it's a, a crested uniform or whatever. But should there not be a national policy in terms of the dress code or have one uniform, uh, which uh, would be gender neutral for uh, male and female uh, students going to school? Perhaps, uh, as you see in a lot of schools where the boys and the girls just all wear tracksuits.
3: Yeah, and that's happened, and in some cases that's happened in terms of tracksuits as a result of these issues. In other cases, it hasn't been simply a practical decision. In all cases, parents, schools have made the decision in consultation with parents uh, and with children. Um, the, the, the issue here is that there is no national policy on uniforms in this country, except that it's a matter for yeah. every single school to make the decision. I think that we need to respect each school, particularly when the decision is made in collaboration with all of the parts of the school community in here, in this but then
5: you're going to end up in a situation, are you not, where one school is accused of discriminating against a pupil because that pupil can't wear a skirt? If- well, I think if
3: that, I think if that happens, I think if that happens, schools will have to address this. But let's be mm. frank, Michael. I mean, the, point these, the undoubtedly, these issues have been around for, for all, all throughout history. Um, we're only starting to understand many of these issues now, or people are more open about these issues now. So schools are obviously playing catch up on these issues and trying to deal with them as sensitively, with the child at the centre of it, as sensitively as possible. And I think that's the most important thing here, to have the child at the centre of it and every child uh, be given their opportunity to be the person that they are uh, in conjunction with the parents in the school. And I think here it's been done perfectly well. Where the children went to the school, the school made a decision in consultation with the parents that there could be no arguments over that because the consultation process was really uh, exemplary, and that's what's happened here. And this school has made this decision, and other schools will make other decisions. Um, and and I think that they will deal with that in in the appropriate way. The only national policy on uniforms at the moment is an alleged policy uh, to to make them as as Mm. cheap as possible, which isn't really working out as as it should be, and that's something that I certainly will be paying more attention to. But in terms of whether there's a uniform or not, that's a matter for the schools themselves. It always has been uh, It always will be, and it's not something that the Department of Education takes a view on. Uh, or the Minister for Education, or obviously then the, the opposition spokesperson on education, which is me in this case.
5: Okay, thank you indeed for joining us oh uh, this on. morning. FINAFAL TD, for me, the East, uh, Thomas Byrne is his party spokesperson on education.
0: Michael, Michael Reid, Reid on, on LMFM.
5: FM. Well, it's a week uh, that has been uh, dominated uh, by uh, the government's uh, climate action uh, plan. But not everybody has been impressed, including uh, the independent TD for Kerry, Danny healy Ray This
10: um, policy that he had all the hullabaloo about yesterday has frightened uh, many people again in rural Ireland. And it seems that there's a race now by Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to see who will be greener than the Greens. But I wanted to know that what you're proposing and, and the way it was, the headlines in the paper was, we want to force private motors out of their cars. Well, I want to tell you, Tish, that people in rural Ireland can't manage without a car. And a lot of your ideas are, are ridiculous and your targets are ridiculous. And to see what you have to realize, there are 4.8 million in Ireland, which equates to 0.06. Of the world population, India and China equate 40% of the world's population, and if we were totally emissions-free, would only equal 0.13 of 1% in the worldwide oh, context. The deputy, time is up. Yeah, but at the, sa- a- at the same time, we are all living under the same sky. Right. And you see. Point. Please, why, why are you imposing and, and, and suggesting Stephanie. these targets for people, and especially families and working families and farmers please. in rural Ireland? Here, do we know that you fighting the daylights out he of the should. people? Please. And he have already begat them. Please.
5: That's independent TD for Kerry Danny Healy Ray speaking in uh, the doll on Tuesday. Uh, let's hear if he has uh, the opinion of rural Ireland accurate or not. Uh, James Boland is chief executive of Irish Rural Link. And a uh, very good morning to you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, do you believe uh, that people in rural Ireland have been frightened by this plan and they already feel blackguarded by the government?
11: Okay, well, it's it's a bit strong to say we're frightened, but we're certainly uh, slightly afraid, to say the least. Irish, sure for link, we've been pioneering things in climate change, like the Wetlands Forum we have under, like helping r- rural uh, people to retrofit through the Sustainable Energy Authority Ireland. In other words, get their housing into order. So we have a good track record and skin in the game, but we have also warned government that. Uh, imposing taxation on a rural population who have no other choice but to pay it. And in this case, Danny healy Ray was expressing a frustration that is in rural Ireland. If you have no other choice but to pay the extra tax, Mm. then you have to take it out of some other part of your budget. And in lower-income families, that's usually uh, health education, food in some cases. And and that really is a problem. And it even means people having to give up a job it's not paying enough it just about supports the diesel car but if you have to change that if you haven't got a
5: car and, and this this, this is the nudge that the government has been talking about it's not uh, that they'll force you to pay extra for these new green ways of living but you may not be able to afford to continue living the way you are because they'll tax it so much
11: yes and i think that is the real problem and and Really, what is disappointing about the package announced is that it, it fails to do a couple of things. It fails to bring together the people who could might, might solve these problems. And while Ireland has been very good at solving problems when, when given to it. But the reality, we've called for a climate summit in Ireland. We've asked the government to bring together the stakeholders mm. and to put on the table the kind of proposals that we need. And let's be clear, Irish Rural Link are very clear, we need to arrest, the, the or do our part in the piece of climate change. We are heading as a planet in the wrong direction and we're heading fast. And the young children who are out protesting are really correct in what they're doing and what they're saying. So what we're saying is, instead of doing it piecemeal, instead of doing it
10: through the budget,
11: mm. bring together the beef people, the agricultural people, the rural people, and all the other interested parties, the transport people, and say, right, let's put together a real package. Some, a bit of pain, a bit of hardship, but let's do it in a way that we can do it and deliver it but what we're doing is we're yeah. simply as Jackie and he way said we're
5: offering no choice I, I, and you've been involved uh, in programs uh, that have led to houses being retrofitted uh, yes. you've said uh, Seamus uh, are you surprised to the extent that they're talking about retrofitting houses now they're saying that it would be 60,000 euro for the average three bred semi
11: it is it is it Indeed, it can be more in some cases, depending on the type of old rural house there is. Look, there's the reasonable grants. I think it's forty thousand through the SEI uh, to be got through it as well. There's also, you know, great assistance. The budget is unfortunately stretched, as far as I know, from mm-hmm. government, so that they have to fight with that. But let me tell you, in one rural hotel, um, and not far from the, not from so far from where you are. We had 360 people on a very fine Friday uh, evening looking to know more information. So the idea that Mm. the rural population are laggards or not. Oh yeah,
5: no, all of that's fine. But how how do you pay for it? Uh, I mean, grants of forty thousand—that's fine. uh, But uh, I think the estimate, and I think it's a relatively conservative estimate, is uh, that that will end up costing uh, the government fifty billion. And you know where they'll get that from?
11: Well, yes, they'll either. But again. right and this is why a climate summit has to be put together like okay if it's to be got through direct taxation or the budget it's not on because we can't afford it we have a 200 billion debt around our, our neck still despite the fact that we're doing well and all the rest but we still have that debt but there are ways of raising that finance and on um, using the bonds and through the eu the eu is also anxious to assist in this area and i don't think we've properly utilized the resources that is available through EU uh, grants as well. So I think the, uh, the issue is, yes, the cost. The second thing is, not all houses may, you know, we may have to take certain bites first. We may not be able to do the full retrofit. But at the moment, we don't have a plan, Mike. That's the problem. We have no plan at all. Mm. If you're living, listening to this, uh, to your station in the morning, you're in a rural household, uh, have you any idea... I would say, of what way you would even approach it. You haven't because there's no plan at all in place. And even if the plan said uh, let's put together enough money in year one, year two and all the rest to at least Maybe put solar panels on the roof. It's not the most expensive thing to do. Or maybe just do the, the, the insulation part of it or get some of it done. You don't have to do it all in one. But the point is, if you have no plan to do it, which we haven't, uh, then it goes on from year to year to year to year. And then we're we're taking fines because we've, we've done nothing and we have to do everything in the last minute. That's the way we do things and it's not the way we should
5: do things. Okay, And if we wait till the last minute, it could literally be the last minute and uh, there won't be another minute for anybody to follow uh, in our footsteps. We have to leave it there for the moment, though, Seamus, and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Seamus Boland, Chief Executive Officer of Irish Rural Link.
0: Michael Reed on
5: LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming uh, to us uh, this morning. What have people been saying to you, Marie?
1: Well, first, Michael, to the responses. Uh, Following that uh, shooting last night, Liz says that she's not a resident of Termin Abbey, but she walks in the estate every night as she lives in another estate nearby. She's horrified by what happened. She says it's such a lovely, quiet residential area with lots of young families. And to think that this could just happen in broad daylight. There's always lots of little children playing out on the streets, as most are cul-de-sacs. And it's very safe. Really lucky, Michael, that nobody innocent was killed. Mm-hmm. Paddy from Drogheda says that despite the arrival of the 25 extra Gardie to the town, there seems to have been far fewer checkpoints in the town over the past number of weeks and wonders why this is. We all know that the feud is there, simmering in the background, and the foot can't be taken off the pedal in terms of putting on pressure.
5: Yeah, well, it uh, erupted uh, again last night and uh, across uh, the town, and uh, I think uh, over the course of uh, this feud, it's uh, touched every corner of the town at this stage.
1: It has. A listener didn't want to be named, just says those children will be severely affected by what they witnessed. Michael, children are scared of the smallest of things. But for something like this to happen outside their own front doors, I feel so sorry for Mm. parents trying to deal with this now.
5: Yeah, well, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, as we were saying earlier on, when those children ran after seeing shots fired at somebody else, they were running for their lives.
1: Anne says that she cannot believe the audacity of those involved in the shooting to go into a busy residential area like that and open fire with no regard whatsoever for the safety or welfare of other people. The outcome could have be been much worse than one person being injured, uh, and says that those responsible should be caught, locked up, and mm. the key thrown away.
5: Well, you often hear people saying they don't care, and quite often it's true up to a point. Uh, and generally speaking, people care to some degree. Some more than others uh, but uh, it seems with these people they don't care at all
1: this is the third shooting in broad daylight in Drogheda Mm. in as many months Mm. says Sean the first I can remember was in the retail park the second in Hardman's Gardens just recently and now this it has to be asked what are the Gardaí doing I've listened to your interview this morning but I'm just wondering, how could petrol bomb attacks then happen a couple of hours later? Were the Guardian not expecting a retaliation?
5: I don't know what to say about that. Uh, it really is a frightening situation.
1: Mary says that she thought things had begun to quieten down in Drogheda because there hadn't been an incident in a number of weeks. Mm. People were beginning to feel that maybe something was going on to bring this to an end. And then it all kicks off again with gusto. Even with the extra guardie in the town, this is happening. So what's the next move from the government to help address... Mm public safety and public fears in the town. Yeah, well I
5: think maybe there has been a a false sense of security because not only were there the extra Gardaí but people will be acutely aware that there were 18 arrests over one weekend, specifically in relation to this ongoing feud and uh, that uh, the Gardaí have been making arrests and clamping down over recent weeks and uh, it seems as though that was a false sense of security as we found out uh, to our detriment last night.
1: Mark wants to know what's going to be done to nip this in the bud before it starts up with a vengeance as we head towards the start of the flaw. We cannot allow this violence to start up again to the level it's been at before because it will destroy the town completely.
0: Yeah,
5: well, you know, you're willing to do it in a housing estate when children are playing or shoppers are going into a shop or uh, people are up in the retail park shopping or going uh, into the gym or whatever it is. Uh, well, you know, you'll do it anywhere, including during the flap.
1: Moving from that then, if I can, a couple of comments on the climate change. Oh <laughs> um, yes,
5: Danny Healy-Ray, I take it, yes.
1: Yes, uh, Pat framble Breken feels that Healy-Ray is right. We are only a spot in the globe. India and China can burn what they like. Saudi Arabia, they are driving around with leaded petrol. Our One size fits all seemed
3: like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt.
1: Whereas we are only a little dot. What we do is of little significance. If the big powers continue to do what they do, it'll get to a stage that the ordinary person in Ireland will not be able to afford a car the way we are going.
5: Maybe so, but uh, I suppose the next question is, do two wrongs make a right? And if you're doing the wrong thing, can you call on others to do the right thing?
1: Paddy from Cal's also supporting, eh? uh, as he's a Mr. Healy Ray. He's the only man who spoke the truth in air and about this climate change. I think the Greens have lost it. It would make no difference what we do. We are only a speck in the ocean. What are the bigger countries doing? Mr Ross says we need to get people out of their cars. But what about rural Ireland? There's no bus services here, Michael. We need our cars. Mm. It's not going to be feasible.
5: Okay, well, he says that you'll be getting out of the car that you're in at the moment and going into an electric car.
1: Okay. On gender neutral uh, uniforms, mm. Michael, a uh, listener says, I cannot believe you're actually having this discussion. I think that the world is gone mad. Jesus wept, says another one, why is society even contemplating and pandering to this madness? Boys wearing skirts to school, what is the world coming to? And that's from David in Navin. Eileen says, however, that she has mixed feelings about this. She says initially she thought, what is going on? That's all very strange that this school kind of went down a limb and did this. And then she thought about it um, and she says, I really began to question, Michael, who decided what men and women should wear Mm, mm. who decided that a woman should be in a skirt or a dress and Mm. who decided that it was right for a man Mm. to be in trousers and Mm. that's really what we have to think about does it really matter what anybody wears
5: okay yeah well I I think there's probably uh, parts to the male anatomy that uh, make it uh, difficult uh, for men to wear skirts
1: Okay, so that's just two mm. that I've in on that. Then John phoned in this morning, completely different topic, really to do with manners. He says, I just wanted to make a point. I collect my grandchildren several days a week from school. In that school, a number of children would have bikes and scooters, which is commonplace Mm. nowadays. And a daily occurrence is when they come along, because I'm an old age pensioner and I wouldn't have good pace, if you like, Mm. I usually stand in and let them pass. And he says, it's a rare occasion that anyone would say the simple words, thank you. Mm. And I just want to ring to make this point, that we talk about children shown respect, Uh, And this is at the very basic level, that at the very least, if you're flying down the road and somebody stops to let you pass mm. that you show them the respect back by saying thanks. It seems that it's not cool nowadays yeah. to do this. And it's something on my mind and I just wanted to share it with the show.
5: Yeah, I think he's right. Uh, I think there's uh, another side to that uh, as well, uh, that uh, sometimes uh, you should step back to let people past. And quite often you'll see three or four teenagers walking side by side and <laughs> they don't give way. No, they expect you no. to walk out on the road.
1: No, I know. <laughs> and sometimes you know yeah. I'm not making excuses but sometimes with teenagers they can be in their own world yeah. and just and I are I oblivious I to what's going yeah. on around yeah. them yeah. because yeah. they're yeah. so interested in their own conversation and what's going mm, on in their own lives yeah. on tipping Michael we were discussing this yesterday yes. and a couple, mm-hmm. couple of responses uh, we were in London for a meal there was a 12.5% on the bill mm. and when we were paying the waiter said are you not leaving a tip
5: okay so that was the service charge yes and this is one of the issues yeah. Yes. that people have about service charges yes. that it's not going to the staff. So obviously that was the case in that restaurant yes. in London, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: How come Leo Varadkar isn't worried about multinationals paying little or no tax mm. here and then trying to get tax on the tips of workers.
5: Mm. Well, I mean, as we were discussing that's yesterday,
1: says Jim and you
5: could decide that tips are not declarable income and that you can uh, accept tips without having to pay tax on them, because that's what's happening at the moment. I, I mean, the Taoiseach is saying if you declare the tips so then you're going to have to pay tax on them or if um, uh, the, you're entitled to your tips uh, that the employer, the, the restaurant or the bar or whatever would have to look after divvying them out and then there would be an obligation on them to pay tax but there's an obligation at the moment to pay tax but we turn a blind eye to it mm. so why not take away the obligation?
1: Well Jim says mm. that he was listening to that conversation also and he feels that um, it's time for legislation To make sure that there is no obligation to pay tax on Mm. your tips, he feels that it's a gift. Considering, Mm. yes, small gift, gift. yeah, and uh, you you don't know Mm. from one end of the week how much you're going to make in the tips,
12: Mm. yeah.
1: Betty from say, are you says, are you mad, Michael, about the TDs giving tips? So they don't even pay for the drinks that they consume <laughs> well, in the true, doll yeah. bar.
5: <laughs> There's a point there, yeah. You're talking yeah, about yeah.
1: tipping. Mm. I wish I had a job that paid for my recreation and mm. a big fat wage packet that I don't have to spend. Okay. Thanks, says Betty. <laughs> yeah,
5: Good one, Betty. Thanks for so that. So we we'll leave yeah. the last
1: word to you. Yeah, right.
5: Thank you indeed, Betty. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us and uh, thanks, Marie, for bringing us uh, those calls and comments. As always, if you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you, and our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
0: Michael Reed, Reed on, on
5: LMFM. Now, as we discussed earlier in the program with Sinn Fein's Pierce Doherty, a lot of time was spent in the Dáil yesterday talking about online safety and some of the issues uh, that have uh, arisen following on from the Anna Cregel murder trial and indeed uh, the depraved images found on phones belonging to the boys. One of uh, the boys had been searching for child porn dark web, and horse porn, animal porn, all these kind of things, and thousands of images found on his phone. It's unknown of course as to whether this type of activity on the internet distorted his thinking or not but it does call into question what our children are doing. Fiona Jennings is the ISPCC's Childline Policy Coordinator who leads the ISPCC's online safety programme and on the line with us. Good morning to you Fiona and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the the programme this morning. Uh, Is that type of internet searching unusual with youngsters as young as 13?
13: I suppose on our Childline service, as you've, as you've just mentioned there, we would often get calls from children and young people about different things they see online. So whether that's intentional searching for something or whether it's something that they they happen to come across because they're looking for something else, it can vary. But one thing for certain is that, you know, when children do see these images, it can cause a lot of feelings within them, feelings of confusion, feelings of you know trying to comprehend what they're actually seeing trying to make sense of it trying to rationalize them so i suppose any way shape or form in how they come across these images is very concerning too.
5: Has, has the potential to shape their thinking to distort what they believe to be right and what they believe to be wrong
13: and i suppose that's something that you know on a broader scale there's a lot of people can access these particular images and it has no effect on them But for younger children who don't have that capacity or that developmental capacity hasn't kicked in yet to rationalize the images that they're seeing, it can certainly influence them in in a negative way.
5: Okay, And is there a tendency, generally speaking, with children to act out what they see on the Internet? Uh, We hear, for example, uh, that there's a, a lot of young girls who believe that threesomes are normal.
13: And I suppose we fed into the, the relationship of sexuality education review that the National Council um, for Curriculum Assessment um, is currently um, doing. And one of the big things for us, obviously the, the curriculum hasn't changed in, I think, about the last 20 years, and it wasn't meeting the lived realities of children and young people today. And in particular, I suppose their ex- now to a lot more things at a younger age than the generation previous to them necessarily would have been. Because there's been a dearth in the type of education they've been getting around um, sex and sexuality, they often go to the internet to, I suppose, to answer the questions that mm. they're not getting answers to within the classroom setting or at home. And by putting in particular terms, it can throw up content to them again, that they're confused about. And for girls, I suppose, we often hear that, is this the particular way that I'm supposed to um, I suppose display my sexuality, perform? Uh, for boys, then, as well, there's also the pressure for them that they feel, is this what girls are expecting of, of boys in a, partic- in a sexual relationship? So there is that mass confusion there. Um, and it's important that we are starting to talk about this, mm. It's very important that...
5: We're a bit late in the day though, are we not? I mean, we started talking about it 20 years ago. I mean, I think 20 years ago, let's say in 1999, uh, you could get on the internet and very easily access pornography and the conversation then was uh, to make sure that uh, the uh, computer isn't in the child's bedroom uh, and of course uh, that went on from there. But uh, I'm sure there was a big difference uh, between uh, the risk that children were at on the internet in 1999, let's say, than there was in 2009 uh, and that it's different again today in 2019.
13: Mm. Well, yeah, and I mean, even that what you just said there, Michael, about, you know, the advice back then was, you know keep the computer in mm. in a separate room i mean that that advice is absolutely redundant today mm. um you know the ex- the key thing is the accessibility is a lot easier today especially with you know children often have you know smartphones or tablets that they're internet enabled and it's very easy they you know they can get on much easier and they can access the content much easier um So that's why it's incredibly important that I I think sometimes if we look at something and say it's too late, you know, we've been defeated. We can't say it's never too late. And the one thing about this particular subject area, the whole area of online safety, is that it's evolving at such a quick pace. Mm. You know, it's a key policy priority for us in the ISPCC. You know, we're looking at it day in, day out. And even for us, you know, trying to keep up with all the different changes That could be quite difficult as well. Mm. So it's really welcome that we are beginning to look at it now and that it will be addressed within the curriculum. I think that's something that it's very important and we can't lose sight of it.
5: All right. Uh, and it's not just sex. I take it. I mean, if you go back to the 1990s, uh, for that matter, Fiona, people were talking about some of the games uh, that children would have been playing on consoles and that, and that some of them were too violent depending on the age of the child. But now the child has that massive computer in their pocket, their iPhone or whatever it is. Uh, and they can watch real killings on the internet if they want to.
0: Yeah,
13: and I mean, again, it's a huge thing about, I suppose, the accessibility of it and what do we do. And there's many, you know, would we like to think there's a lot, there's a couple of solutions to it. Education mm-hmm. is a big thing so that children are education, how to, how to keep themselves safe online. You know, so that's looking at, you know, the benefits of being online, which are absolutely enormous, but also, you know, we need to talk about the risks as well, and what do they do when they come across content that makes them feel uncomfortable, that they don't know how, that, you know, they don't understand what they're seeing, Mm. and they need to be able to to talk to somebody about that, and understand that it's okay to talk to somebody, and that what they're viewing is not normal. That's really, really Mm. important, but also... I suppose the whole kind of um, the 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 social media platforms who serve up this content they 've got a huge role to play in relation to the, the i suppose the technical solutions that could potentially be available for this type of content and I appreciate that people will say you know there's freedom of expression and there's you know rights there to be respected as well and there are, but there's a huge amount of harmful content and illegal content. It's just far too readily available.
5: And going back to that conversation I had with Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty earlier on there's a big role obviously for legislators in terms of online safety legislation, uh, a digital SAR or digital commissioner as the case may be or as he was suggesting on the programme today indeed in the Dáil yesterday that the government look at what Brendan Howland has been suggesting which is to follow the UK's example in terms of pornography so that we try uh, to stop children from accessing pornography or do our best to do so by making sure that they have to verify their age and that they're over 18 before they have access.
13: Yeah, so a couple of things there. Yeah, So Féin, yeah, they were first out in um, proposing or bringing forward a bill to establish a digital safety commissioner and that is still before suppose is working its way through the through Iraqis at the minute. I think it was at the communications committee the last time Um, and they're looking at it. And that's throwing up a couple of issues. Um, The Minister brought forward a public consultation on an online, a potential or a prospective online safety act, Mm. which would look at a a digital safety commissioner role as well. And I suppose those things are ongoing. And um, I think, you know, we would agree that anything that is set up, it must be robust it must be able to deal with the issues. So online safety is not an Irish issue that can be dealt with in an Irish context. You know, it's a global issue that needs to be dealt with in a global context. So it involves a lot more than just the government of Ireland establishing something. It needs to, there needs to be some type of, you know, European international cooperation or mechanism put in place that a digital safety commissioner in Ireland that that particular type of role would be replicated in countries across the world and would have um, those mechanisms in place where they're able to work together. Something akin to what we have now in relation to the Data Protection Commissioner. Mm. But I suppose in relation to the UK and what they're proposing, so they're proposing that for commercial pornography sites that age verification methods are put in place. And what they're looking at is in order to access the content on these commercial sites, the age verification method they're using is a credit card, so you must be over 18 to have a credit card. Mm. So therefore, when you register with a credit card, it, in it's it's, inverted commas, proves that you're over 18. But that's just for commercial content. Mm. We know that there's more than that, than the, that there's content available that, you, you know, you don't have to pay for that's available on on mm. online as well. So how are we going to what technical solution can we
5: propose? Um, If it is possible, because this comes down to the lack of rules and regulations that there are on the internet. I mean, the internet, uh, (laughs) to a large degree, is a state of anarchy. It's a world where anything goes. uh, And uh, there are uh, many ways of trying to tackle that but even if you did manage to tackle it technology being what it is there would soon be something new that would undo what you've uh, done uh, and uh, they'd find another way around it
13: yeah and i suppose we we can't give up that's the first thing we absolutely can't give up but what is very heartening to see i mean this was a policy priority for us i suppose we really start it really came yeah. to our attention Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and we've been working very, very hard on it. And even in that short space of time, just to see the mind shift has been incredibly encouraging. So we've moved from somewhere, you know, a position of there's no way, how can you regulate the internet? Mm. You know, it is what it is. Whereas now in 2019, we're very much at a position where, yes, the internet must be regulated and we must all work together and we must find solutions to do that. Mm. Of course, again, the technology being what it is, yeah. you know, new things are going to come along and we can only work within the space that, we, that we're in at the minute.
5: And there are so many challenges. I I mean, if you uh, go back uh, to some of uh, the issues arising from Anna Cregell's murder trial and uh, what the judge is describing as idiots on the internet, wrongly identifying her murderer or identifying the family uh, which has caused them to go into hiding or a situation where one of uh, the teachers is being threatened online. Yeah,
13: and again, I suppose... The one thing about being online sometimes is that there's almost a disconnect to it. If you want, I mean, it's called social media, but sometimes you wonder how social it is because you can be anonymous when you're online, and that there is that you're, you're like a step removed from what you're posting. And mm. you know, because there's, it's perceived that there's no consequences. Um, whereas in a particular situation like this, it's very clear that there are that there are consequences to that type of behaviour.
5: Okay. Food for thought for all of us. Fiona, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Fiona Jennings, ISPCC, Childline Policy Coordinator and the ISPCC's lead on online safety.
0: Michael Reed
5: on LMFM. Now, the Chief Fire Officer with Louth Fire and uh, Rescue Services, Eamon Wolfe, uh, joins us after what was a, a busy night for emergency services in Drogheda. Good morning to Eamon Wolf and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, the guards were telling us earlier on that it was a, a, a miracle or a blessing, let's say, uh, that a, a child wasn't shot up in Termon Abbey uh, in what was another gangland attempted hit. Uh, a man shot twice uh, sitting in a car in the housing estate. Uh, but it was a busy night uh, across the town and indeed a busy night for your members in Moneymore, I understand.
14: It, it was, it was, Michael. Uh, following that earlier incident, there was also a car fire. Uh, the car involved in that uh, earlier incident it was burnt out as well. But uh, the main incident was um, at about uh, half past 11 last night up in Moneymore. Um, there was a very serious house fire um and luckily, there was no one in the in the house when when the fire service arrived. There were four units there. Uh, it was very well uh, alight uh, when we arrived. Um, speculation as to as to what caused that possibly uh, accelerant may be used, or um, or there's even talks of possibly a bomb being used. Um, uh, we we don't know, uh, but uh, the fire service was there for for three or four hours, um, and uh, there were also. The fire spread to two adjoining houses, not in a major way. Now, and that was controlled, uh, but the, the house itself was obviously completely destroyed. Uh, but even by the standards of the fire of the incidents of this uh, field, uh, this this is a very very major incident, major fire.
5: Right, uh, and when you say you're not sure if it was a, a petrol bomb or an accelerant or perhaps a, a bomb.
14: There's uh, specula- no, it, it, that's obviously being investigated mm. um, and uh, it's but it was a it But, but
5: I, I take it that it was either a, a bomb or that uh, something uh, very sinister was a, a play that they used a, a lot of petrol or threw a lot of petrol bombs at the house or something like that?
14: Uh, it doesn't appear to have been a, a, a petrol bomb. It was more, uh, There's just talk about another... Uh, there may have been accelerant, which would be obviously petrol uh, poured in there, and uh, but combined with a bomb maybe, um, either that, or, uh, but it, it was doesn't appear to have been uh, put through the window, um, so no one is 100% sure, uh, because the house is so badly burnt out, uh, no one is 100% sure of what happened, but um, it, luckily there was no one in that house because uh, it was very it was very well alight when when, it, when it, we arrived. Um, and the
5: neighbours on either side have obviously taken a lot of fire damage and smoke damage and so on. Were there people yes, in those was houses? On one
14: side there was. Uh, it's Via the roof to the adjoining house and then to the second adjoining house on that side. This was an end house, um, and uh, but that was pretty well controlled up on the roof, so there was limited damage in the adjoining house and the second adjoining house. But the, as I say, the main house affected is completely, uh, completely destroyed.
5: Were people in the neighbours' houses? Uh,
14: th- th- those houses had to be evacuated. Yes, oh, uh, they fun. did. Um, yeah. But obviously, it spread via the roof. So I suppose they would have had a bit more time. Uh, although the, the houses quickly became smoke clogged. All right, uh, but they did. Um, there are no reported injuries there, uh, luckily. But um, like, if there was anyone in the main house, uh, that you know, it could be it could be a, a tragedy we could be talking
5: about. <laughs> It certainly sounds like it. Uh, I imagine you've uh, lost count at how many cases of arson uh, can be attributed uh, to been, this feud. Uh, it's
14: been terrible, uh, although uh, because of, I suppose, the good work that the uh, our colleagues and the guards mm-hmm. have been doing uh, has been a bit quieter over the last uh, month or six weeks. Um, but hopefully their good work will continue um, mm-hmm. and maybe... Whoever, whoever, whoever did this last night.
5: Am I right? Am I, am I right in thinking, or would you agree that this uh, sounds uh, to me to have been the most serious of all of the arson attempts so far?
14: It. Uh it, it was in terms of the size of the fire uh, but on previous occasions there were people in some of those houses and that obviously is a, much, is a life safety risk which would, we would consider as being a, a greater risk uh, but those other fires mightn't have been as large as this one okay. uh, but there was no life safety risk here because uh, there was no one in the house ok
5: Thank you indeed for joining us, as always. Uh, this morning, Eamon Wolfe is uh, the Chief Fire Officer in Louth. Uh, Labour Party Councillor Pio Smith is in studio. Independent Councillor Kevin Callan is on the line. What do you say, P.O. Smith?
12: Well, the one, thing that, the one question I have is, uh, what's not working in relation to the Criminal Justice Amendment Act 2009? Because that act clearly sets out that if somebody is, is convicted of uh, directing or controlling a criminal uh, organization they get life in prison it like, defines where like, a cr- like leaving a bomb in somebody's house yeah well i 'm going to get to that because basically <clears throat> this defines what a criminal organization is it, it brings criminal acts under the scope of the Special Powers Act, which means it can be tried in a non jury court, a special criminal court. It lowers the threshold of evidence that the guards have to have, and it also increases the penalties for people intimidating witnesses mm. now from what I can understand, the guards have a very <clears throat> thorough knowledge of who the people are who are causing a lot of this problem. But there seems to be then uh, a problem in relation to getting Mm. evidence to put these people away. And because of that then, they're still patrolling the streets, the criminals Mm. are, and they're carrying out different acts, different crimes. And we spoke before about the fact that is it really so much... To, well, it's a combination of things. It's the fact that the guards are putting so much pressure on, but also because they are pulling back to the criminal gangs themselves because they recognise that what's bad for business is a lot of publicity. And then when the opportunity strikes, they will strike. And that's the way it's going to ha- going to go on in the future.
5: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is unfolding uh, mm-hmm. and I find myself somewhat speechless this morning. I mean, we thought it was bad. We woke up kind of knowing what happened. Uh, we put some uh, meat on the bones and, and realised uh, that there were children who were at great risk while that man was being shot and that the retaliation took place and so on but uh, a man was shot last night and a bomb went off in out I mean this is just beyond well, words Just go
12: back to April there uh, look at what happened in, 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 in Mel uh, Like we were very lucky two houses didn't go up and, and uh, four or five people were killed that was late at night uh, again a very uh, extensive accelerant was probably used in that fire on innocent people and and uh, only for the grace of God, that night, two houses didn't go up. One one did, and one family were lucky to get out alive. Uh, but it could equally have went to the next door neighbours. And both houses, both people, completely innocent. Kevin Callan on the line, as I say, uh, I think uh, perhaps the people of uh, Drahada should
5: be bracing themselves for the weekend ahead. What do you think?
4: I think so, Michael, and I agree with everything Pio mentioned there about the criminal justice legislation. And um, from my point of view, I would say that, you know, we saw a, quite an effective once off guard operation but a number of raids and people brought before the courts. But then it all stopped again. And then we had the announcement of extra guard for Drogheda. But, you know, the recruits, they're only people who've graduated. And um, I, I think we're seeing a certain amount of spin nationally from on Garda Khan, not locally, but nationally and also from the Minister for Justice. And it, Drogheda in many ways is a big town, but it is also a small town. And I think the lack of an ongoing presence is allowing these people to do it. Like what happened yesterday was a basic, nearly repeat retaliation in every way, shape and form. The same thing in the same place and the attacks on the houses were just a replication of what happened before. So how gardy were weren't present in that area after the shooting is beyond me.
5: I think uh, the Chief Superintendent uh, said uh, that uh, they deployed uh, officers uh, to the area following on from the shooting and uh, discovered the fire themselves.
4: Yeah, and Michael, in terms of discovering the fire, the Guardies should have been there in advance. If you look at what happened in uh, Hardman's Gardens recently, the armed Response Unit were parked up there on and off for a matter of weeks. They knew something was going to happen, but they were not permanently there. And then we saw a shooting take place outside McDonald's supermarket. The Gardaí, as Pia was rightly said, they know the individuals involved. There is legislation. People are afraid to give evidence. The people in Moneymore have been affected greatly by this. And they've had their own homes attacked um, in terms of them not even being involved in the activity, but even the fact that they saw something or were aware of something. So the legislation has to be used. And the Special Criminal Court is there to deal with people like this who are terrorists.
5: I suppose if you take a look at uh, what happened after the murder of Veronica Guerin and uh, how uh, the Gardaí clamped down uh, on the Gilligan gang, or indeed in Limerick uh, for that matter, uh, they... Uh, followed individuals Mm. 24-7. They were parked outside of their houses and when people went anywhere, uh,
12: they knew that there was a a guard close behind them. That doesn't seem to be the case in Drogheda at the moment, does it? Well, well, I think, in fairness to the guards in Drogheda, they're playing catch-up here. And they're Mm. playing catch-up not because of their fault. But let's go back to last September, October. We're told this is the second hit
5: on the individual who was shot last night. Mm -hmm. and We're told that it's one of the leading figures Mm. in Mm. one of the gangs. Mm. Uh, and there were no guards to be seen somebody came along and was able to shoot him
12: yeah yeah, and, and and that's a fact I mean the 25 new guards that we got can't go out on their own they can't go out in pairs they have to go out with because uh, they're probationary guards still uh, so there's a problem in, in relation to the deployment there uh, number two there are significant numbers of people involved in the gangs you know and there are that while there may be a hierarchy in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of who the top people are, there are other people then who are involved in relation to to carry no shootings, and trying to deploy resources to twenty four hour ca- uh, follow those people, mm. I think is very very. Do they care? We were speculating
5: earlier on, suggesting that everybody cares about something to some degree. Do these people care at all? Uh, to fire a, a gun in a housing state when children are are playing beside you, uh, would sort of give you the impression that they don't care?
12: Well, they don't, because basically they've gone to another level. Uh, they've really gone to another level in, in relation to where they're at in their own mind mm. and what, what goes on for them. And, and, like, you know, psychopaths don't have empathy for other people. If they shot one of the children, do you think that would bother them? No. Really? No. I don't believe so. I don't believe so.
4: Uh, Michael, just if I could come in on that, he was quite right again. If you take the probationary guards who are out, when I started practice and I spent two years in Templemore training guards at this stage in how to handle themselves in court and be aware of legislation, an an unarmed guard is of no um, consequence to these people. Um, We look at what happens when you put unarmed guard up against people who are carrying firearms. Take the example of Sergeant Morrissey and Cullen in 1985. They have no fear of them. What these people fear are the armed response unit and cab. And that's exactly what should be in Drogheda 24-7. Unarmed guards, to me, I'm surprised the Guard of the Representative Association are not jumping up and down about the fact that young guards in their early 20s are being possibly tasked to go out into the middle of this. They're not in a position to deal with it, and they present no fear to these criminals.
5: What do you think all. of what the Chief Fire Officer was saying to us, Kevin? I mean, the shooting speaks for itself, I suppose, but uh, the idea of a, a bomb in somebody's house.
4: Yeah, but what's absolutely it's, it's absolute disregard for public safety for people who are not affected by this but Michael I go back to what I said the guards if you take the likes of Moneymore if you take, take Termon Abbey it's a very small area and the Gardaí have not been continuously present in those areas in particular after the shooting they should have been in Moneymore the minute that shooting happened waiting for the response
5: I, I don't think these fellows are going to be out taking their kids to football matches or Irish dancing over the weekend uh,
12: what do you think is going to happen this weekend P.O. Smith? Well, I mean that's what they do I mean, to all intents and purposes, people live relatively normal lives except for the fact that they are involved in criminal activity. Uh, so, I mean, solving this problem uh, is a society societal issue. I mean, crimin- uh, the criminal justice system has to get involved in this. For example, mm. let's look at the, the, the law, the Criminal Justice Act that states that if you intimidate witnesses, you can get 15 years in jail, right? But there are people who are willing to go forward and who are being intimidated. So that 15-year penalty for whatever reason isn't working. Uh, there's something not working here that we that needs to be addressed. I mean, if if we can identify who the people are who are involved in this, if we can say yeah, they are gang members. Mm. And if we can say that police officers can meet these these people Which we can, who are, are gang I mean. members, what is wrong with the, with the uh, criminal justice act that these people cannot be prosecuted? Mm. I mean, there's something that well,
5: the gardie can identify
12: yes. every one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Let's hope we're not
5: here on Monday morning talking about what they did over the weekend. Uh, We'll leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, That's Labour Party Councillor P.O. Smith, and on the line, our thanks uh, to Independent Councillor Kevin Callan.
0: Michael Michael Reid on on LMFM.
5: Here's a letter to the Taoiseach that was published in uh, the Irish Daily Mirror yesterday from a soldier who cannot be named. One of the first things a soldier does is swear on oath to protect the Constitution. The most fundamental element to that is the national security of each citizen. The government enacts the laws. We choose as citizens to live in a state of laws. We also agree to pay taxes for public goods. In return, we as citizens should have the right to both social and security protection. However, within the Defence Forces, our soldiers are being forced to work for less than the minimum wage because of the government's own policy. This week, soldiers, airmen and Navy personnel are working between 64 and 96 hours a week for less than the national minimum wage. Not only is this going against the law, it is eroding the constitutional integrity of the state, and the victims, ironically, are those who are the last line of defence in the protection of that constitution. Our soldiers are one of the most respected elements of our state. They honour us every day, both at home and abroad. They dispose of bombs. They defend our seas from drug dealers. They provide security in our highest security prison. They defend those all over the world who can't defend themselves. Our government is on the of producing an independent report that will recommend that it is okay for these men and women to continue to work up to twice the weekly hours, as stated by the Working Time Directive, and they do this for less than the minimum wage. This report views the work that is provided by our Defence Forces with contempt. We have a Minister for Defence and Taoiseach who refuses to implement a wage structure that is both fair and enables our Defence Forces and their families to grow and thrive in a job they love. Depriving our Defence Forces of their right to a basic minimum wage has forced our most highly skilled and educated members to make a choice between providing a living wage for their families and the job. If we as citizens don't get behind our defence forces, we will lose the ability to dispose of bombs, secure our highest security prison, and protect our coastal waters from drug dealers. We will lose the most fundamental right of each citizen, the right to security. As I say, that's a letter from an unnamed soldier published in the Irish Daily Mirror. Yesterday, Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell, a former member of the Defence Forces, joins us now. A very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, Was that letter fair, do you think? Uh,
15: Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Um, That letter, um, I suppose, highlights the frustration that's been felt by members of the Defence Forces. Um, Fair? Yes, it was. It was a fair uh, reflection of where things are uh, within the defence forces at the moment. I would, have one, I would add one caveat, and that is we still do not know what the Public Service Pay Commission are recommending. Um, it is most frustrating that several weeks after the report was uh, issued to government and to the Minister for Defence that it has not been published and that we're not aware of what's in it. So,
5: But it, it won't make recommendations on pay anyway, will it? It'll only make recommendations on allowances.
15: No, I think it will make recommendations on both. Um, I think there will be some small addition to core pay and the rest will be allowances. And um, Michael, I don't for one minute um, uh, expect that it's going to deliver what members of the Defence Forces want, but I'm prepared to give the benefit of the doubt and wait and see. Um, there's been a massive amount of speculation and sadly there has been some leaks. Um, which indicate that it's something like 96 cents a day is the overall benefit. And if that actually turns out to be true, then we are in serious trouble. We lost in the last month of, or sorry, in the month of May, uh, 15 soldiers walked out of their jobs to civilian life. 13 of them purchased their way out. Two of them had reached the uh, culmination of their contract. So, When you see people spending hard-earned cash to buy their way out of a contract, there's a problem.
5: Because it's not like an ordinary job. You can't just quit, can you?
15: No, absolutely not. No, no, no. You're contracted in for a period of time, and you must make up... If you choose to go out, you've got to pay the price to leave. And the price can be quite expensive, depending on the skills that you've acquired while you were in there. So... um, people with uh, engineering qualifications, people who have uh, worked at Bob Disposal, people who have worked in any of the specialist areas like medical, uh, paramedic, all this stuff. And soldiers are doing these courses all day, every day. So um, each time they do a course, they add another cost to Hmm. the price of leaving should they wish to buy themselves
5: out. Uh, And is that your expectation, uh, that people will buy themselves out in greater numbers, that they will leave en masse
15: yeah, my, my, right now we're about 1,200 under the established strength of the Defence Forces. So we've got 8,300 um, uh, serving soldiers, airmen and, and sailors at the moment. It is my belief that if the Public Service Pay Commission fail to deliver significant increases uh, by way of allowances and salary, uh, that we will see up to a 1,000 more leave by the end of this year.
5: And... Ironically, as we've discussed on the programme previously, this comes at a a time when spending on defence is on the increase, and significantly so.
15: That's correct, and I mean, uh, contrary to what a lot of people say, I'm quite supportive of the PESCO um, engagement that the state has signed up to. But uh, you cannot, on the one hand, sign up to things like PESCO and seek a seat at the United Nations Security Council, while on the other hand, uh, depleting the forces to the point where they are inoperable. And incapable of delivering the services, not just within the state, but outside the state. So we will see serious curtailment of United Nations uh, service overseas, which has been rolled into soldiers' income as part of their annual income that you can expect every two years uh, to do a six-month mm. stent overseas and that that would augment your salary.
5: But does it do anything for morale when soldiers are, are being paid a pittance and living on the breadline and seeing all sorts of fancy equipment or motorbikes being bought, as the, the case may be, or uh, a story underneath uh, that letter when it was published in the Mirror yesterday of how €26,000 was spent on a, a paint job, which uh, the paper said was the equivalent of a soldier's annual salary?
15: That's right, absolutely. And the purchase of the motorcycles, for the life of me, I recently saw a Cortese, um escort, uh, the president of motorcycles, and to me, they all looked spanking new, every single one of them. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why we're spending close to a million euros uh, replacing the fleet that's there. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem, of course, Michael, as you well know, is budgets are allocated on the basis of capital, and current mm-hmm. and the capital budget uh, we have been handing back millions of euros every year to the uh, exchequer uh, in unspent funds and of course the the uh, replacement of aircraft the replacement of mm-hmm. armoured cars and the purchase of ships the ironic one on the purchase of the ships
5: is we now have nine naval vessels and only crew for seven of them. Okay, I have to uh, leave it there. Our time has run out, uh, and we're over time, in fact. But thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell brings our programme to its conclusion this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme, Monday morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye.
4: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.